This is CliffCentral.com. Youth Leadership Platform. Here's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to remove that fear, to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. Multiplying leadership, moving society, the millennial world. You don't want to end up going after goals and dreams and neglect yourself. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Tao. take control. Take control of your city. This is the instrument of your liberation. See, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Identify yourself to the world. Youth Leadership Platform. All right, just like that, it's another Feel Good Monday, and you are chilling with the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Tao. Welcome to another exciting show. We promise um, and have promised to bring you nothing but the best in terms of uh, the guests that we bring. The quality of um, the show itself and the quality of the conversations that we have. And today, as always, promises to be just another powerful show. Um, and we have a very special guest. And I need to look through here um, from, from my production um, to quite intro her and give her the kind of respect that she, she deserves. Um, I have a, a strong, powerful black woman sitting across from me, um, and her name is Tembi Butelezi. Tembi being the first black South African woman to work for a hedge fund on Wall Street, has since become an international known author, speaker, and trusted advisor to executives from across the globe. Tembi is the founder and Chief Visionary Officer of Future Gen Leaders and oversees the Board of Directors for the Future Gen Leaders Foundation. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. Thank you so much, Butbongani, for having me on the show. I'm so awesome. excited. Um, we are excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are more excited to, to, to have you. We have had conversations with different um, key individuals in respective fields and industries that have dropped pearls of wisdom on a varying number of issues and we are delighted to speak business intelligence with you and i guess before we do that uh, i'd like to play like a quick preview of to give a, a, the people a taste of what is this business intelligence that we speak of and then we'll get into today's guest You may have heard the term business intelligence, or BI, but what does that really mean? There are several different definitions, but to put it simply, BI is about delivering relevant and reliable information to the right people at the right time with the goal of achieving better decisions faster. To do this, BI requires methods and programs to collect and structure data, convert it into information, and present it to improve business decisions. BI takes the vast amount of data generated by businesses and presents it in a meaningful, actionable way. While these are simple concepts, BI is actually a large and complex field, including performance management, analytics, predictive modeling, data and text mining, and a lot more. Imagine business intelligence functioning like a grocery store. 
When you enter a grocery store and are looking for specific items, say eggs, milk and bananas, you do not need to find an employee to ask them where to look. Instead, grocery stores are organized into aisles and signs that make the store relatively simple to navigate. Now imagine the items in the store are like your business's data and you need to collect information on production, billable hours and sales goals. You are likely to go to three different experts and ask them where you can find this information. Then you will go to someone else and have them compile it for you. BI is all about taking your messy information and turning it into a tidy and accessible grocery store. This enables you to navigate your data on your own and find what you need without relying on others. Organizations no longer have to dig through complex webs of linked spreadsheets, analyzing the data manually and mashing together reports. Instead, employees can use BI systems to request the information. Using BI offers significant advantage when trying to make strategic decisions. Having anytime access to organized data means that you can discover inefficient business processes and hidden patterns. Okay. So that was a lot of information overload, but I, I promise you we're going to unpack it um, for you nicely. But I guess before we even go any further, um, Tembi, we'd like to know about starting out in Soweto. Where in Soweto did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in um, In Soweto, yes. <laughs> and, you know, it, now that I, I speak American, it would be like, I grew up in Sawasto, but in Kulele Soweto, you know? Sure. Um, my parents, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Okay. So my dad had, my dad inherited his dad's shop. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So What were he, they selling? I'm a fish and chips. Oh, okay. You know, I'm a gota, grocery, bakery, and we had a butchery. Sure. So we carried on with that. So from a very young age, I've always been an entrepreneur. That's all I know. Um, the only person in my family who like worked a real job was my mother. Okay. None of my family members clock in and clock out. I don't even know what that feels like. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was growing up in, so in, in Soweto, but I grew up at a very, uh, challenging time. I think you're at the age where you're like born free. You're the born free generation, right? You kind of like, say something like that. Right. So I grew up when, Apartheid was still very rampant. It was okay. still, it was still hard. Like, okay. I remember when I was 12 years old where the Ngata Freedom Party was going through Soweto and it was rough. So I, I saw a lot of atrocities, um, in Soweto and I saw a lot of struggle and I, but I saw a lot of resilience. I saw a lot of people love each other. I saw a lot of men protect the woman and the children. But as a result, I think of seeing all of that um, and experiencing all of that and seeing men and women go through that. My dad was became very abusive. Okay. Trauma. You know, really, really deep trauma in his psyche of growing up in apartheid. So he became very abusive. So at 17, I ran away from home and I dropped out of high school. And I literally actually got an honorary matric just two days ago. So I am oh, a 37-year-old wow. <laughs> matric graduate. For real? <laughs> yeah, I went back to the school that I um, dropped out of high school at, and I became an undercover student. So I stayed with the uh, grade 11s, and then I did my speech, and then I got an honorary matric. So yeah, I mean, I didn't have one of those fairy tale lifestyles okay. or uh, upbringings, but I did get the basics of um, a, a strong foundation in entrepreneurship, and being a woman, a strong entrep- uh, basic uh, foundation in, in selling. Sure. 
You've got to learn how to sell. If I can teach young people how to sell an idea, how to sell tomato, spinach, whatever it is, and have no shame, you will go anywhere in the world. So that's my thing. So that was my upbringing. Interesting. Mm. So you run away from home and then what, what happens from, from that point onwards? Yeah. So I got my first job after running away from home at 17 as a, a researcher. I worked for this research company and I used to call, dial 300 phone calls a day, Sheesh. right? And all I was doing was asking people, do you like Omo? Do you use Omo? Yeah. And, you know, like, have you worked in a, no, do you know anything about research? Um, a couple of things. I yeah. mean, w- within the fashion industry myself, uh, right. I have to always look at, um, who's acquiring who, the, the kind of business deals that are, that are going on in the business of fashion. Cause that's, that's, that's just me, but yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I was doing consumer research where, you know, I'd call women and ask them about what detergent they were using. So we'd have all of these big companies that would, uh, contract us to, to dial. Sure. So I've always been on the phone. So I did that for six months and it was, I was making 10 rands an hour. Can you imagine? Sheesh. 10 rands an hour. And then I was looking through the newspaper. I always love looking through the newspaper on Sunday. And I saw this job and it was for selling stock market trading programs. Okay. So I was like, hmm, this is kind of sexy. And there was 2,000 <laughs> rand basic a month plus 400 rand commission. Who do you live with at this point? I'm living with my grandmother. Okay. I'm living with my grandmother at this point. Um, a, okay. So... I apply for this job. The guy says, come on in. Let's see if you can, you know, dial and sell something sure. that day or make an appointment. Sure. So I get on the bus and I go to Rosebank and I get the job immediately. Interesting. I'm sitting there. I'm dialing. Listen, but like I'm a black girl calling white CEOs because that was the criteria. <laughs> Only white CEOs because black people weren't trading the stock market at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through. They weren't this. in positions of power to. to begin Are you kidding with as well. me? Yeah. 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 I mean, even till today, right? Uh, a large part of senior uh, management is, is is still very untransformed. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So the guy, he was an English guy who had these courses, and he's like, "You only call white people." I said, "Okay, that's very strange." He says, "You got a British accent, so somewhat." I don't know where you went to school. I was like, "St. Martin's, a private school." He's like, "Oh, okay, use that. Just call these people." And and so I had. Sometimes we'd get lists to call. Sometimes I'd have to use the telephone directory. Mm-hmm. But I used to dial every single day. Hello, my name is Tembi. I'm calling from the JSI. I'd like to tell you about my stock market trading program that I'm selling. Mm. People would buy. So I went from making 2000 basic salary and I would sell 20, 30, 40 courses a month. Wow. So some months was 8000 uh like my basic plus my commission. Sure. Some months, 20, 30,000 rands. I was really good on the phone. Uh, saved up money. Then I moved to London. Okay. And then I traded the currency market and lost obnoxious amounts of money. Came back to um, Johannesburg, got a visa and went to America. At, how old are you now at 21. this point? And why, why are you going to America? What, what, what are you looking for? I'm looking for, I w- look, when, you, when I, when I started studying the markets, yeah. I realized that black people don't understand what money is. Okay. My dad was, I had inherited all of these shops from his dad and sure. he was working on all these shops, but sure. he was also uh, an insurance broker. So my dad was already in the financial services industry. Interesting. And he taught me firstly, number one, how to sell. Okay. Number one, uh, secondly, how to read. So I read Think and Grow Rich at the age of 12. <laughs> Napoleon Hill. At Napoleon 12. Hill at 12. He was like, you, but, he didn't have boys. 
I was his firstborn. Sure. And you know, as a Zulu man, yeah. Zulu man, he was like, I don't have any boys. You are my son. I will teach you how to be a, a good businesswoman. Sure, so sure. I had to read that book. It opened my eyes to what was possible in the world and what was possible for me as a black woman. What, what was the highlight principle from Think and Grow Rich that to this day mm. you could look at and be like, you know, this principle is the foundation of everything that I've accomplished to this point. If you can use your mind, you can achieve anything. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I had no idea. Sure. Use your mind. You can have anything you want. I was like, what? Use your mind. You can. But it's so true because the more books I've read, mm -hmm. it was because I wanted to use my mind. Sure. I read a book a week. Hmm. So I've read over 2,700 books. Interesting. Over the last 20. Top three. Think and Grow Rich, um, Science of Mind. Interesting. By who? Ernest Holmes. Okay. And Michael Beckwith, Spiritual Liberation. Hmm. I'm really into mysticism and... Self-help as mm, well? Yeah. Self-help, quantum physics, neuroscience. Okay. Mysticism. Um, what are you trying to unlock in the neuroscience and, and psychology? Just brain work. Yeah. So because I went through a lot of abuse at home and, sure. I, and I watched the people who grew up in apartheid be kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. I said, as black people, we don't go to therapy. Yes. We're afraid to say, listen, I, I have some kind of stuff. Sure, right? sure. I need therapy. So I've always been fascinated with the power of the mind and mm -hmm. the power of self-healing. Mm. Because as black people, sometimes when we're in pain, we go to the church and, you know, they give you water and they pray sure, on you and sure. they're saying, oh, we got to exercise the demons out of you. Mm -hmm. No, maybe you just need therapy. Maybe sure. you just need to cry. Maybe you just need somebody to hear your story mm -hmm. and validate that pain happened and now give you tools to be able to heal thyself. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're dysfunctional, you're broken. Sure. So I wanted to figure out a way to heal myself because I've spent over 4.5 million rands in therapy sure. and still the therapist couldn't help me because the pain was so deep. I needed to rewire my own brain mm. from pain to joy. Hmm. So that's what I what, what are three tools that from studying and I, I, I think at this point with um, neuro-linguistic programming, mm. um, which factors in if you want to rewire your mind or teach it differently, right. what are three tools that you've learned in the books um, that you feel have been the most helpful in helping you to deal with the trauma? Interrupt your pattern. So many of us are in habitual, we're mentating. You, we don't have original thoughts. So Einstein said, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. That is insanity. So we mentate. You wake up in the morning, you have sure. the same thoughts. You get out of bed the same way. You brush your teeth the same way. Break mm -hmm. the habit. Interrupt the pattern of your daily life, hmm. right? That is number one. How do you do that? You've got to find yourself when, usually when you, when you are mentating, it's, it's negative thinking. Sure. It's usually something that's painful, that's hurting you. 
you've got to do something that is so out of the ordinary that you're going to get out of that mental pattern. For, usually I will wear um, an elastic band and when I start mentating, I'll like kind of like snap the elastic band oh, like okay, this. Oh, okay, yes. And then I know, oh, I need to get out and get into joy. <laughs> I really need to get out of this <laughs> this mental loop that I'm in. It's like sure. this broken a record that is playing and it's usually centered around pain. Hmm. Number two, I always meditate. I meditate every single morning. Three o'clock in the morning, I get up and I sit up and I meditate and I want to hear the voice of wisdom because my voice is the voice of ego. Okay. And the voice of ego gets me into a lot of trouble, especially as a trader. Sure. I, I need to, I need to hear wisdom. Sure. Because ego makes me lose money and make very bad decisions. Sure. And number three, I always sit outside in the sun in the morning. The sun is the most powerful element on planet Earth. Hmm. It powers up the Earth so that we can eat. We eat sun. Hmm. So if it's good for what I eat and the birds and the plants, it is good for my human body to sit outside consciously every morning for 15 minutes and say, I am so grateful to be alive, to be awake, so that I can begin another day and change the world in my own special way one more day. Hmm. Gratitude in the morning. That is my thing. Very powerful and, and very insightful because you, you, you think about it. Um, if you go to townships right now, mm. the, the crime statistics, the court cases that are, um, um, are being, um, that are going through the system every single day because somebody beat up somebody, right. someone is stealing, someone is doing this and that and the other, the bitterness, the resentment mm. are all key indicators of Something somewhat entrenched in the people mm. that stems from that painful past, and you you come to think of it, a lot of entrepreneurs as well now will get trapped in thinking a certain way, mm. uh, mentating. You said it's mentating. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because they come from an environment like that, and some of them are still in those environments. Mm -hmm. So because they can't envision a life beyond that and they mm. can't be able to heal from the past, mm. then it stops them from exploring certain parts of their mind that are very crucial for them to move from where they are to where they need to go. 21 years old, you move to America. Where do you settle? How do you settle? And what's the first thing you do? Los Angeles. Okay. First thing I do is I register at the Long Beach City College. Okay. To take, well, I had to take uh, ESL kind of like English, which is like English is a second language. Yes. I'm like, I speak British English and I write better sentences than the <laughs> Americans. Like, I do not write the children is dead. I write the children are dead. Sure, if, sure. if I'm ever going to write a sentence like that. Sure. But I had to take that class and I, the teachers eventually saw that, whoa, 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 we've got a genius there. One of the teachers said, you can be the, one of the best writers. I was like, me? Really? But I had to take a GED. So GED oh, yes, is like yes. Abbott. Yes. You know, yes. um, you take one of those course, the, those tests and then you're allowed into university. University, yes. So that's where I started and I was still trading, um, and still selling. I always sell, you know. Which I, company did you then associate yourself with? I was an independent trader. Oh, okay. Totally an independent trader. F, uh, FXCM. Okay. I don't want to promote any company, but. The problem with the forex market is that it's it's so manipulated. It's not very stable, and a lot of, I've seen a lot of people. They're like, "Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I can have a side hustle. And I've been trading forex." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! What are you doing?" But I did it. Lost money. I lost a lot of money. Um, I I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. I was ambitious, 
and I wanted to make money. I wanted to take care of my family at home while I was here and pay for my school fees. I mean, it was a good, it was a good experience, but I lost a lot of money and I just had to stop. And then I started selling mortgages. That was interesting. Okay. To make money. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the 2008 recession for, you know, like sure, I was selling sure. people a lot of, um, they call them bonds in South Africa. Okay. Um, I was a loan officer and a lot of mortgages, a lot of mortgages going through, making a lot of money. And then I moved to Vegas. Okay. Vegas was good. <laughs> so in Los Angeles, Los Angeles is very expensive. We live in Los Angeles. This is very expensive. So I said, I want to buy a house. I want to settle. I want to be American. And feel. so you're renting and you were renting in, in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay. An cool. apartment. Sure. And then I moved to Las Vegas. Sure. When I got to Las Vegas, I became the queen of sales. What did I do? I went and sold $1,000 bottles of alcohol in a nightclub at the casinos. Okay. Because Las Vegas is a very, number one, a very transient city. Okay. Number two, lots of money in Las Vegas. Okay. Lots of money goes through Las Vegas because you've got the casinos, you've got all the conventions that go through Las Vegas. So if you're a waitress, waitresses are making like $300,000 a year. <laughs> As a waitress. Sheesh. Like then, um, valet parkers. Like, you know, a guy who parks a sure, car. Sure, sure. Valet parkers, $150,000. You don't even need like a high school diploma. Yeah, obviously to, to yeah, do that. Yeah, most people in Vegas come to Vegas. They don't even have very much education. They can start at, at the bottom as a busser or as a valet parker and end up a CFO or COO. That is the opportunity in Vegas because it's just such a hustling city. So it was good for a person who can sell because when you're working in these high volume liquor nightclubs, it's about selling bottles of alcohol. So for me, it was so sexy. I was like, hi, my name is Tim V. What would you like to drink today? Mm-hmm. So that that gave me a lot of confidence. Number one, it helped me understand human nature. Okay. Because I was seeing people at their worst. And at their best. Sure. And I was making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I was able to support my family here in South Africa, pay for international school fees, and buy a house. That was freaking awesome. (laughs) 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 But I learned a lot about human, uh, about human behavior while I was studying psychology and hedge fund. Let's, let's transition in, in, in into that. Right. So how does that then happen? So I graduate college and well, two semesters before graduating college, I was already sending out resumes to get recruited after when you graduate so I got recruited April and I started working in May Hmm. Uh, I was what 25 years old yeah this was pre-recession sure by July of 2007 I actually knew that the recession was going to hit 2008 so I was already trading the only girl 500 traders the only black uh, African-Americans, they call us. I'm like, I'm an African woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only woman African in a hedge fund of 500 people. 500 men. Testosterone. I love the <laughs> testosterone. <laughs> it was it was sweat and testosterone and a lot of money. I, I saw people make and lose a million dollars an hour. I'd never seen so many zeros in my life. Mm-hmm. My eyes were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. People make a lot of money. <laughs> and then they go and snort coke. I was like, okay, this is very strange. What is going on yeah. here? Money doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't make you happy. And I'm starting to see this trend here in South Africa. We also, we so, you know, as Rumi says, if you love money more than anything else, you will be bought and sold. Wow. I didn't know that. I came from kind of like, not 
I mean, poverty, you know, compared to American standard of living, Soweto sure. shops and stuff like that, to seeing people make a million dollars. The first time I made $10,000 in an hour, I said, Ooh, God <laughs> is good. I've never seen so many zeros. If I convert <laughs> this to South African money, it's this a is a lot kind, of money. This is kind of crazy. Sure. Do you see what I mean? But I realized that even with the money, I was still so miserable as a human being. Still very miserable. And everybody else that I was working with was miserable because we had no purpose for that money. That money was just money. Hmm. When money has no purpose, you go down with that money. And as a trader, you make so much money in a day and you lose so much money in a day. Money has no meaning anymore. Sure. Yes. Hmm. Very interesting position to be in at the age of 27 years old. Hmm. Hmm. And then you move back to South Africa and the starting of um, future gen leaders. What what inspired that? So now you're looking for a purpose higher than just making a lot of zeros in an hour mm. and losing a lot of zeros in an hour. Yeah. So what happened was I left Wall Street. Sure. And I moved back to Vegas because I had a home in Vegas. I hit the lowest point in my life where I became one of those people I sold alcohol to. Sheesh. So I was, I, I didn't do the drugs, but I might as well have done the drugs because I was partying and drinking and drunk and miserable. Like I was so miserable. I would come home and puke. Mm. So I wasn't any better. The people that I sold alcohol to, I kind of, it was the kind of like my karma. I, still, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those people drunk every day. I mean, maybe three, four times a week. And then one day I sobered up and my husband said to me, it's probably time to sober up. Sure. I went to a meditation retreat. It's 10 days. You live like a monk. 10 days of silence. You live like a monk, vegan food. You sleep on bunk beds and you meditate for 10 to 14 hours of the day. Sheesh. My mind opened. My soul cracked open because now it wasn't about the money. I had to look inside and say, what is going on inside of me? Mm -hmm. That's when the neuroscience started coming in. Mm. That's when the quantum physics and all of this awakening to find a purpose for life and to actually build a business that actually has an impact in this world. And it's not just about money. Mm. So that was that. And then I moved to China, um, carried on kind of my journey was, um, volunteering in China. I met sure. some South Africans and I was like, it's time to move back home and actually be part of the growth and the change in South Africa because I truly am South African. Mm, mm, mm. So tell us about future gen leaders um, and the incredible work that you've started doing with um, the organization itself. So I, I, I've been coming back to South Africa quite a lot and I was seeing that there is mentorship. Yes. In South Africa, there's VCs that help young people start businesses and, and try to do something. Mm -hmm. But always when somebody would pitch an idea, they would say, no, that idea is not so good. Maybe next year. Mm. Then they take that idea and actually implement it and mm. fund it. I said, mm. this is crazy. Mm. I saw this uh, in Silicon Valley. I saw this on Wall Street. Why are they doing this? Rather... So rather, rather I come to you and you pitch me an idea and I say, Bongani, listen, if you pay me 10,000 rands, I'll teach you how to do your business and do it instead of saying, I'll give you money. Yeah. Because then you own your business. You own your intellectual property. Sure. But um, I'm not saying that the VCs are bad or it's just the world of VC and the world of, of pitching and funding and all of that stuff. Sometimes ideas are stolen. So I said to myself, is there a way of creating kind of like a business entrepreneurship MBA program that is 
that doesn't need certification. Because if you look at Mark Zuckerberg, he mm-hmm. didn't graduate Harvard, but he is a billionaire. Why do we need certifications, an MBA from whatever school, mm. to be successful? Mm-hmm. Why do we not teach young people how to do online entrepreneurship, online media, online business, and be successful without the freaking degree? Sure. Right? So I came, I've been coming back, and, I, and last year I, had a, I ran an incubator program. Very successful. So one of the participants was my sister. She's a fashion entrepreneur, fashion stylist, and she didn't even know how to pitch herself to collaborate with other fashion entrepreneurs. Mm. I taught her just the simple skill of pitching herself. She's so successful now. She lives her life. She bought a car. I'm like, oh, this actually works Mm. because it doesn't require somebody to go write a test to fit into this you know, I need to go to Lysoff or sure. I need to go to, it, it's just fundamentals of business for young people to make money in the next six months, mm-hmm. not in the next 18 to 24 months. Let's make money now, three months, six months, 18 months, and teach young people how to build a business that is, that is solid. Mm. So that's what I started doing last year, especially with my incubator. So I'm trying to, not I'm trying, I have people that constantly want to be in the incubator. It's just, Managing how many people can come in because I'm only <laughs> <laughs> can only do so much. I can only do so much. So yeah, now I'm doing group coaching and I'm just teaching and I'm just giving away Harvard business education. Sure. For five to ten dollars because everybody deserves that. Why do young people not have that? Because firstly, it's it's three hundred thousand dollars to go to Harvard to get that education. Why should it be that kind of money? Mm. No, distribute it, decentralize that education, and make it available to everybody. Mm. I believe in the youth of of Africa mm. as a continent. We have geniuses on this continent. Plenty of them, yeah. And we're going to rule. We're going to dominate the world. What's what's your vision for Africa? We're going to dominate the world in the next fifty years. We just have to watch out for China, right? China has a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pledging some of it our way, huh? Yeah, yes. But the thing is, we have to be careful as young Africans to not be money hungry, right? Rumi said, if you love money more than anything else, you will be bought and sold. Sure. We love money. We are willing to take money and we're willing to give away billion dollar ideas. Your IP is all you have. Sure. So I, if I can entice you with money, I can take a billion dollar idea that can make you a billion dollars and I will take it and make a billion dollars. So that's what we have to be careful with, with the Chinese. I have nothing against Chinese. I speak Chinese. I lived in China. I love Chinese people, but they are smart, Hmm. very, very smart. And they have money. We have ideas. We have resilience and we have hustle as Hmm. African Hmm. people, Hmm. Hmm. but we don't yet know how to convert our ideas into money. And if I can come here and teach young Africans how to convert their ideas into money and be willing to pay for their education because people don't value anything that's free. Sure. So if it's free, then I'll take your idea and I will use it and I'll make a billion dollars and I'll give you a hundred thousand rands. You've got to value your idea so much that you're willing to pay for education to get your idea to be the billion dollar business. Sure. Interesting. So business intelligence, which is, I guess, largely um, on top of what we've just spoken about, um, why we're here today, right? Um, There's a study that I read um, from some of the material that uh, you sent our way 
um, that 70% of small businesses fail within the first five years of business. Yet SMMEs um, are the backbone of the global economy. Mm. So when you assessed the situation and looking at the statistics, what are some of the key factors that affect entrepreneurs um, uh, to a point where pretty much they fail. So what are, what are some of the, what are some of the things that entrepreneurs are doing wrong to fail so much? I, if I said we're doing something wrong, I, I look, neither do I judge nor do I condemn okay. because I, I failed so many times. Oh my goodness. I've fallen flat on my face in business and I've had to get up. Sure. Firstly, mindset. Okay. So if you look at the trajectory, like my, my family growing up in an entrepreneurial family, they didn't have the business coaching that I now have access to. Okay. So we had a lot of family wars over money, right? So once you have family wars and animosity over money, the mm-hmm. business is going to collapse because sure. emotions, you know, like marketers know that 80% of all buying decisions are emotionally based. Hmm. So that's why when you go through pick and pay, you see all of the candy and the chocolates and the Lined bubble gum. Just before right. you pay. Emotional impulse buying, right? Hmm. So, most of our decisions are emotionally based. So if we don't understand our own emotions and cannot control our own emotions as entrepreneurs, every time you have a setback, your mindset goes out the window. Mm. You're going to fail. There's nothing. I mean, I can give you funding and you will fail. Mm. Your mindset. First thing in the morning, you've got to see yourself successful. Sure. No matter what is going on, no matter what obstacle, you've got to see yourself successful. So sure. mindset number one. Number two, managing your emotions because all of your decisions are based on your emotions. Number three, managing your cash flow. Hmm. Have you ever heard of a, a business owner who doesn't have cash flow? Cash flow is number one. We don't know how to manage our cash flow as um, business owners. I didn't know for the longest time until I started studying this stuff. Um, and I'd say number four, employees. Hiring the wrong people will sink you faster than anything will cost else in your you, business. Eh? Yes, I've hired so many people that I've had to lay, but I'm not afraid to fire people. I'm sure, the kind of woman sure. that will fire you in three months. I tell you, doesn't this is a three month trial, and if it doesn't work, you gotta go. Sure. No hard feelings. Hmm. Um, but because talent is the most expensive uh, portion of your payroll of your balance sheet. Sure. So yeah, no talent. Hmm. Totally talent. And then what about EIQ? Because I feel with a lot of entrepreneurs, the, the impulse of starting a business, um, simply because of obviously the lifestyle associated with it, um, the freedom, um, that's, well, it's, it's, it's illusory because there's no way you're going to be free, um, telling people what to do, but they go into just starting a business for the sake of starting a business and they don't invest time in understanding what running a business looks like. And all the challenges that come with running a business. So what would you say um, has helped you develop develop an EIQ? So like entrepreneurship um, IQ um, to be able to enhance the way you do things. And that has helped you to be um, su- successful as a business person. Failing. Okay. My motto is fail forward fast. Okay. Fail forward fast. I wake up every morning to go and find people that are going to tell me no and to fail. Hmm. Because if I fail, 
then it is leading is telling me that that direction that I'm going in is not probably the right direction. I need to like course correct. Sure. So that for me is fail forward fast and having mentors. I was on another interview yesterday and uh, this young woman said, Oh, you know, mentors, you know, it's very difficult to find a mentor that is good for you without them wanting to tell you what to be and how to run your business. Mm -hmm. And I say, yeah, I totally, I totally um, hear you. And I have been there too, because sometimes when you have a mentor who's a baby boomer or a Gen X, they, they don't even know how to use Twitter. Sure. You know, they're like, what? I'm like, okay, you're like, so <laughs> yeah, they don't even know how to use LinkedIn to market your business. I'm sure. just like, seriously, you, you, you're playing with me right now. So for me, it's been finding, finding the right mentors. For me to get onto Wall Street, I had a mentor who, who helped me, who was my economics teacher. He helped me with my self-esteem. Sure. To get onto Wall Street. So anything that I've done, everywhere that I've gone, I've always followed the path of mentorship. Mm. But mentorship comes sometimes in a book. Mentorship comes with paying. I've paid $15,000 for six hours for somebody to sit there and tell me, this is where you're not seeing growth in your business. That hmm. was a lot of money invested for six hours for somebody sure. to just look at my business and say, but I don't mind paying because I know that paying one time will yield so much money in the future of my business. It's sure. not. So I pay for mentorship. Hmm. I, I'm not afraid to pay for mentorship because I'm investing myself in the end. What about knowing the who's who of the industry? Say, for instance, an angel investor, um, somebody to partner with, somebody to be the face of the business, um, someone to go into business with that That's maybe are just going to buy shares, but they're not really part of the business. How important is it to know who's who in the entrepreneurship space? Hmm. That's a catch-22. Okay. If you know who you are, then you can partner. I tried to partner with somebody last year. Sure. This person was the biggest crook, the biggest crook, but this person had worked in like, you know, big four consulting. So I thought, Oh, okay. Not so bad. Maybe I can bring this, invite this person into my company. This person was the biggest crook. By the time I figured out who she was, I almost lost my business. Hmm. So, but I know who I am. Hmm. I, when my intuition says something's wrong, Mm. I look, she had literally changed, she registered companies under my company. Mm. So it's, it's a, it's a two prong, um, yeah, answer. I know who I am. I know what my gifts and my talents are. So when I partner with somebody, I don't want to give them shares into my business because I can make money. So I'm only saying to young people, Know who you are first and stop running around trying to find partners. Build your skill. Build your tenacity and your chutzpah as an entrepreneur. Work every part of your business. I know exactly what my talent does. I know what exactly my accountant does. I know every part of my business. So now when I partner up with someone, they can't crook me. Because mm. if I had partnered up with that woman and gone with that partnership... I would have not been here. Future gen leaders would have been gone because she saw the potential in my business. Mm. So it's very important to, to know who you are as a person because I tell you this, your IP is all you've got. Mm. She didn't even have money, which was even sad. Like mm. she, she had nothing to contribute. So you've got to be very careful with that. Yes, it's good to know who the people are, but don't go there as a beggar. Sure. Go there as I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. What do you bring to the table? Let's co-create. 
what are the best ways um, you've, you've figured um, to raise capital as uh, an entrepreneur? Say I've got this brilliant idea and I've got the willpower and I'm consistent in doing the little that I can to start lean and to run the business lean. But now to get from that point to the next point, now I need funding. But I've already gone to agencies suggested by the government mm-hmm. and all of them are giving me all these red tape um, suggestions where you need to get this, you need to get that done. But as an entrepreneur, I've gotten this and that and the other done, but still, you know, I'm not being granted access to the, the funding that I want. So what are some strategies that you found very useful in, in raising funds as an entrepreneur? So let me say, let me, uh, let me answer this by saying, number one, who are you? Okay. Okay. Because if you're coming to me from with an energy of lack, I need, I need, I need, I need, that means there's something you believe that you don't have enough. Hmm. There's something broken in you. There's something missing in you. So you've got to beg. Hmm. That energy repels investors like anything else. If you came to me with, you know, I, see, Tembi, I need this. Tembi, I really, I'm like, oh, so unattractive. So firstly, get your mindset. I, I, I have enough. I am deserving of my business to be successful. Sure. I have a, an incredible product. Then you've got to learn how to pitch by telling a powerful story about how your product will change the consciousness of humanity. Because if you're telling me that your product is going to just make a lot of money, I don't care. Most VCs and most angel investors from New York City to London to Silicon Valley don't really care. Hmm. They really don't. They want to know but the good ones, the ones that are going to rip you off and steal your IP, yes, they'll be like, okay, I'll give you money. But the ones that are really good and really want to mentor you and take you to the next level and give you access to funding, they want to know how is your business, how is your mission going to change the fabric and the consciousness of humanity? Start with a powerful story. The money will attract itself to you because as you go around speaking, doing interviews, talking to people, you are sharing who you are, the gifts that you're bringing to the business world. You'll become so attractive. Money will find you. But if you're out there begging with a consciousness and a vibration of lack, people run away from you. That's how I've always done things in this world. Speaking of of of, of pitching, mm. in 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 a lot of pitches, they they will ask you about um, the numbers, um, how much you think you're gonna make, how long it's gonna take, how long the ROI mm. um, as well is going to be. In terms of understanding the numbers game, what are the, what are the key elements that need to be in place for any good pitch for you to? Ensure that you gain the trust of whoever you're pitching your idea to. If you tell a powerful story, I swear to you, if you tell a powerful story, I trust you. Because you, now I'm building the no like, and trust factor. Okay. By the time you come to my office and show me the uh, like, you know, projected cash flow, projected ROI, I already trust you. To do business, I've got to trust you, I've got to know you, and I've got to like you. Okay. Before I even talk about money. But I think with young entrepreneurs, you always want to show me how much money I'm going to get 
from the get-go. I don't know who you are. Why must I give you money? <laughs> Tell me a powerful story. Sure. Why do you think movies, good movies like Black Panther, grow so much money? Mm. Because we are wired. The human brain is wired for story. So if you tell me a powerful story, I can project in my own mind. If I give you a million dollars, it's going to make this because every human brain is wired for story. Why do you think Christianity is the biggest movement and it grosses so much money? Hmm. Because we tell a story about Jesus. Hmm. Story is powerful. Hmm. Tell me a powerful story and then Wall Street will give you money for making movies. Before, they don't know how much a movie is going to gross, but they tell a powerful story to the investors and the investors will then invest. And then even if it flops, the story was so good. I'm like, okay, I lost my money, but the story was good. Yeah. So start with the story. Start with a powerful story. Hmm. You will get money. And by the time you get to the table and we're talking about money, it's not like, do I really trust him? Mm, mm, <laughs> um, do I have to second guess him? Sure. I trust myself because I trust your story. Interesting. And even if you're about to fail, the story is so powerful. I'm going to do everything to make this project successful because I believe mm. in your mission and your story. Mm. The money is nothing. If I don't trust your why, I don't trust that you can hustle in the dark times. Mm. Tell me a powerful story. I am mm. a money girl. You can play with me with money. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I'm a money girl. You can't play me with money. But if you're not going to tell me something that's going to make me believe in you at three o'clock in the morning when I'm looking through my money, I'm like, okay, seriously, this is like, you're wasting my time. Sure, sure. Tell me a powerful story. Market invincibility is one of many major factors why a lot of businesses fail and a lot of entrepreneurs fail. What are some key marketing tools um, you feel um, every entrepreneur um, should be using to make sure that their business is visible and that their business is what people want to associate themselves with their, um, with, with, with their business or want to buy their product or um, consume um, their product or use their services. Well, please can you define market invincibility? So if you've got an idea and you've got a product right now sitting here, how many people can have, do have access to that product? Um, right at this moment, it would be me, mm -hmm. right? Because I can see the product. But in terms of the larger market, which is everyone that's outside of this room, right? Does not know that you have a product. So marketing comes in place when you have to take this product to everyone else that does not know about the product to know about the product for them to even think about consuming it. Okay. So they, that's why I asked you, what do you mean by market invincibility? Sure. If you market to everybody, you're marketing to nobody. Hmm. Not everybody cares about your product. Sure. If you can just get this one thing, you know, as a South African, when I first got to America and somebody said to me, I actually don't care. I, I, I mean, I, I got such a shock. My heart sank from my heart all the way to my feet because somebody said to me, I really don't care. I, as an entrepreneur, you've got to find people who care enough. And the only people who care enough are people who've heard your story and they've touched in that your story has touched them deep. Hmm. So you've got to find a niche that is passionate about what you have, what you sell, your number one, your story. If you tell me a powerful story, I'll buy your t-shirts, I'll buy your pens, I'll go on tour with you, <laughs> I'll go do everything. You have a show. I, look at the Kardashians. Sure. 
right? Mm-hmm. We buy everything from the Kardashians, from T-shirts to makeup to everything. Story. It's all story. So find your niche. The Kardashians didn't market to the 60-year-olds and the 40-year-olds. They marketed to the young people on YouTube, on ETV, and all of that stuff. Sure. Find your niche. Dominate that niche. It was for Kardashians as the women's, sure. right? They dominate. They dominated with the women. The women are now bringing their boyfriends. Come see. Come see. Come see. Come see. So if you find your niche and you serve that niche so well, and you listen to your niche, their pains, their struggles, their fears, their dreams, and you keep handling that, massaging that, bringing them on the journey of the growth of your business. They want to be a part of that. They want to see the back, uh, back scene of your business, the struggles, share authentically your truth. You will dominate a niche. And in 10 years, you will have so many because they have children. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if I have a child, I'm like, oh, I'm watching the Kardashians. There you go. Thing. My mother. Sure, sure. So find a small niche. Serve it so well, and you will never go out of business. But trying to market to everybody, you're talking to nobody. Sure. Nobody cares. Hmm. Nobody Start cares. Start the niche and grow. Mm. Final points. Um, <laughs> if you were to speak to your 21-year-old self, um, who's an entrepreneur right now, um, has this big idea, and they want to execute that idea, and they want to grow and become successful, what are your final words? <laughs> Feels like I've, I've I've put you on the spot there. No matter what happens, mm-hmm. love yourself enough to not betray yourself. Hmm. I found myself betraying my intuition. Sure. And that's when I've had the most pain. That's when I've lost the most money. That's when I've had the most time and tears. So if I told Tembi at twenty-one, sure. Never betray your ideas. Never betray yourself. Never betray your intuition. If your intuition says this is wrong, that person is not good for you, don't go there. Trust that above any logic, any education you could ever have. Sure. Any stat, any, any because your intuition will never be wrong. But stats change all the time. We see it with of Donald course. Trump. He's constantly changing. You know, the world was flat, now it's round. But your intuition... It will never lead you astray. Mm. Don't betray yourself. Mm. That's what I would tell myself. That is Tembi Butelezi for the Youth Leadership Platform. It's at Simply Bongani across all social media platforms. Where do people um, get a hold of you or how do people get a hold of you? At Future Gen Leaders on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and futuregenleaders.com. Awesome. Tembi Butelezi with the... Business intelligence for all our young leaders and entrepreneurs uh, that constantly listen to the show. Thank you so much for joining us for another exciting episode of the Youth Leadership Platform. This is CliffCentral.com.